If you've got your Bibles, won't you open them up to Acts chapter 16? It's good for us to get used to handling our Bibles, or if you've got a Bible app even, you can use that. Those are, those are helpful nowadays. Um, also quite useful. There's a, free, a brilliant free one called Uversion that you can download. Uh, it's got many, many different translations on. You can download the translations. They're not massive, and then you can read it even if you don't have signal wherever you are. Um, so that's a good one. It's got plans and all sorts of things in there. It's just the brown logo. It says Holy Bible on. It's made by Uversion, which is part of a church in America. Um, who put that out free to everybody. So that's a great gift to the church. And I'm going to read out of Acts chapter 16. But just as we're reading here, just some background as you're turning to Acts chapter 16, we're breaking in sort of halfway into a story. So to give you some background, it's Paul's second missionary journey. So it's what's known as Paul's second missionary journey. So he's he's going up um, from where he was out of Jerusalem in Acts 15. He was with the the count, what's known in your Bibles might be headed as the Jerusalem Council. They had this issue around how much of the Jewish law do Christians and new believers need to, particularly the Gentiles, how much do they need to obey? And so the, it was really revolved around circumcision. And so fortunately for most of us, they decided that we don't have to go through circumcision when you come to conversion. Um, and so that's quite nice for the men. We enjoy that. It was a good decision, Acts 15. That's why they definitely included it in the writing of the Bible. But it also it was, a, it was a moment of, of kind of putting a, a flag in the sand and, and saying, this is, what, this is what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to obey the law anymore, and, and particularly the ceremonial parts of the law and the sacrificial parts of the law. So they've got that. Paul, has been, Paul and Barnabas have been sent out to go to the churches and go and deliver this decision from the council of the apostles in Jerusalem to the churches in the whole region that has started up. The churches would have been small. There was no email. There was no um, church online or anything like that because they hadn't had a pandemic. So they, they had to go in person and go and deliver this message to the churches around what is Asia Minor. So kind of where Turkey is, real close to where the fighting is at the moment. Um, and so we see this. About AD 49 to 51, Paul goes on this journey and he is... He then goes on this journey and then he gets stuck in Antioch for a while and it just says he was there for some time. And then he leaves after some time. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were teaching the church in Antioch. And after that, they then go on this next journey and they're still delivering this message. They're encouraging the people that, in the churches and they are teaching into the churches, correcting some doctrine. And Paul is keen to preach the gospel in various places and he's going out. So what happens right before Acts 16, we get to this point where Paul and Barnabas have, a, have, a, have quite a sharp dispute. So they were quite a, quite, a team, quite a power team, Paul and Barnabas. They were two heavy hitters. And they have this real disagreement over who to take with them on their team. They had taken a young guy called John Mark with them. And um, Barnabas wants to take him again. And Paul doesn't want to take him because he's, he's been a bit unfaithful, Paul thinks. And so Paul, they have such a sharp disagreement that Paul says, well, listen, you know, we can't we're not, we're not going to go together. So Paul goes on, um, but fortunately we see that Paul still works in team. So that brings us to Acts 16 verses. We're just going to read five quick verses, verses 6 to 10. And it reads like this out of the NRV. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, uh, just as a quick thing, it's not what the province of Asia is not what we know as the continent of Asia. Okay, technically, they're on what we know as the continent of Asia, but it was a, a Roman province of Asia. All right. So when they came to the border of Mycia, they tried to enter Bithynia, 
but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Weird little part of scripture. It's really one of the, 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 the parts in the narrative of scripture where we actually see them identify that it was the spirit that told them not to go somewhere. It was an incredible thing. So the title for this morning's sermon is No Go or No Go. And it, I, I intentionally left any form of, um, uh, what are those little commas and dots? Punctuation. So intentionally left any form of punctuation out of, the, um, out of that because it really is dependent. You can, if you had no comma go, it would read differently to if you had no go exclamation mark. Or if you had no full stop go exclamation mark, it would read very differently. And it's interesting to see in this narrative what happens here. So having that background and, and, and looking at this and seeing how these guys are... And now this journey, and it's amazing, sometimes we read in a few verses and we're like, oh, he went from there to there to there. But it was hundreds of kilometers that they traveled and it would have taken them a long time. And so in looking at this and, and in, in understanding that we have this commission from Jesus to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we have that. We are to be His witnesses in the places that are close to us further away and to the ends of the earth. We are to be the witnesses of what God has done. That is our commissioning. That is, that is what is on us as the church. We are, the church is essentially missional. Do we know that? Do we get that? Do we agree? Okay, if it's the first time you're hearing that, welcome. We love you. You're supposed to go. So, I ask the question of this. If this is what we see in, in the life and the journey of these guys, I'm asking the question, like, how do we go? If we know that that is our general call, like, how, how do we know how to go? And the first thing that jumped out of me is, is out of verse 6. And it, it's, it's so amazing how coming out of the back of this massive sharp disagreement with Barnabas and the splitting, and I'm sure there would have been hurt and offense on both sides of that with Paul and Barnabas. We don't know. The scripture's not clear. But if, if you've ever had any interactions with people where you've disagreed with something, particularly people, it's not comfortable. It's not nice. And there's often a lingering emotional pain that goes with that. And sometimes what we do out of those places we, is we protect ourselves emotionally. And the easiest way to do that with, when we are hurt by other people is to isolate ourselves. And we push back and we say, no, no, it's fine. I'll go on my own. But what I love about what happens here with Paul is in verse 6, right in the beginning. It's the fourth word. He says, Paul and his companions. Paul and his companions. Paul is not so offended and so hurt with what has happened in the church that he says, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to do my own thing. Paul still understands that the, the important thing about how we go is in team. And so for us, we need to, when we go, make sure that we are going in team. Now, what that means sometimes is that we go with other people, and sometimes it's going with other people's blessing. But, so whether they go with us physically or whether they go with us spiritually, we are not lone rangers. There's no lone rangers in the, in the kingdom of God. Because honestly, what happens if you operate outside of team, if you operate on your own, lone, I'm going to do my own thing, here we go, the devil lines you up and you are easy pickings. And he will just slowly, slowly malign you and keep you aside. And, you, and you'll find that what you are busy with and what you are doing and pouring your life into 
ends up being fruitless and worthless. God designed us to work in team right from the very beginning. It is not good for man to be alone. Let's make a team. The first team is a husband and wife. But outside of that, and it's just a picture of how we should operate when we live in authority in the kingdom of God. There is safety in team. Are we as mature as Paul to be able to overcome our difficulties with others and to work within a team, regardless of whether we've been hurt or not? So that's the first question I asked, is how do we go and it's in team? And then I asked the question like, so, so if we've got that, when do we go? So if we look at the life of Paul, he has this, he has this calling to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Um, and he says that on a, on a number of occasions, he says, this is what he feels God has put in him to be. And it's, it's, a, it's incredible because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an incredible Jewish scholar. And he knew Jewish culture inside and out. He knew the Old Testament, probably a lot of it by heart, particularly the first five books. He would have known it by memory. It's incredible what those oaks went through to learn that. And here's this amazing Jew. And God says to him, I want you to go to the Gentiles. Sometimes God does things and, and, and sends us to places that make no sense. And he uses us in areas where you're just going like, surely it would be better to send John, Lord. Like he's far more articulate and good looking than me. Use Johnny Wiseman. It's much better. It's going to be better for the, and, and the Lord says, no, no, I want you to go. So when do we go? Paul has this calling. He's, um, he's delivering these uh, decisions from the council. And, and Paul goes, and it's, it's amazing because he goes and he, he goes to some of the churches, he travels, and then he's in Antioch. And he, he, it's almost like Paul has a fire in his, under his bum. He can't sit still for too long. He's constantly like, you can see, he's been there for a year or two in Antioch teaching. And then he's like, right, Barnabas, we've got to get going again, buddy. We've been here enough now. Let's go. And Barnabas says, okay, cool, let's take this guy. No, no, that's not going to work. But, but what Paul is doing is, is wherever he's going, whenever he can, he goes. Whether he's sent out with a decision to go and deliver to the churches, he's preaching the gospel and he's going and making disciples along the way in those places. Whether he's teaching in Antioch and he's going along there, he's preaching the gospel and he's discipling people. And this is our, this is our next key. And, and I love what Paul does here because he's then, he's like, right, we're going on, we're moving. Here we go. We're going on from Antioch. Up we go. And he's going north, north. Um, Andy, have you got, did you put that map on? Do you want to put the map up, Andy? And I'll just, it'll maybe help it. Okay, so it's not, oh, I forgot to crop it for you. And we don't have a picture. Anyway, um, so you can see the top line that's running the, above the big pink thing in the middle is the province of Asia. So the top purple line that runs up there is kind of where they would have gone. I'm going to stand up here and do it. It's going to be easier. So Paul was sent out from, from Jerusalem, from the council, and he then travels all this way up. Tarsus is where he was born. He would have visited his family, and we're following this line here. And then we get to Acts 6, 16, where he was teaching in, in Antioch uh, in 15, sorry, into 15 for a while. And then he gets sent out, and he has a disagreement with Barnabas, and he goes off. Then they try to go north. They can't get into, this is Bithynia, this province up here. For some reason, they get stopped. Can't go to Marcia and Bithynia. So they carry on down and they get to Troas. And that's where we see them get to Troas. Okay, so now you've just got a better picture in your head of, of what's going on. Sometimes I forget that you guys don't read Bible map books. Um, but <laughs> I, love what, I love, what Paul, love what Paul does here is that he, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't, he doesn't wait. He's not sitting in Antioch going, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to just sit and wait until God says something. 
Paul understands that he's got that general call on his life. And this for me, if you get one thing this morning, this is what I hope you get. Go until there is a no. Go until there is a no. Sometimes we get so caught up sitting, waiting for a special revelation and a special calling from the Lord. And who exactly am I going to go to, Lord? And, and to be honest, I think some of us use that as an excuse where we're like, no, the Lord hasn't given me specifics on which day, date, what the weather's going to be like and which um, person's initial. I don't have the initials of the person I'm supposed to preach the gospel to. And but God has given us this, this overarching call. We have a general call, a general mission that we are all part of. Go until there is a no. That's what Paul and, and his, his companions are doing here. They go, and they're going, and they're going on. And he's like, we sit still and we teach for a bit, but then we go. And then he gets a no. So then, and for, for us, friends, go until there is no means that we, we must live out the general until we receive the specific. So, so Paul never received a go to Bithynia, go to Antioch, go to this from God that we know of. He was simply going. Wherever he could, he was going. We must live out that general call that we all have of preaching the gospel to the nations, making disciples, teaching them, and baptizing them. That is our general call for all of us, being witnesses of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our general call. Live that out until you receive a specific thing, until you see exactly what that specific thing is. Because in God will show you when you go. Some of us want to go and then be shown, but... God will show you as you go. Does that make sense? Live out the general until we receive the specific. Don't limit, don't limit how you view going. Some of us see this going as such a big thing. Like I'm not an evangelist or I'm not a church planter or you know, I'm not an apostle. I hate to break it to you, but you're part of apostolic Christianity. That's the inheritance we have. We're all sent ones. That's essentially what to be part of apostolic Christianity means, is that we are part of something that is a going. It's a sending. Two-thirds of God is go. The gospel starts with go. G-O-S-P-E-L. It's amazing. Simple little things, but it's easy reminders. It only works in English. But here Paul's, so Paul's going around it, and you know, our going can be so much more than crusades or church planting or things like that. You never know what God is going to do through you Lighting that fire in one person's heart of, of how beautiful Jesus is in the gospel is. So, go until there is a no. So what happens when God says no? <laughs> what happens when we get that no? We read that, that the Holy Spirit prevents them from going into Bithynia, that northern region. Don't know why Paul wanted to go up there. Maybe he knew some folks, we don't know. But he was trying to go north, up towards um, Bithynia. And we read that the Holy Spirit stopped them. And it's, it's amazing because it mentions it twice. It says the Holy Spirit stopped him, the Spirit of Jesus stopped him. It's the same thing. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And so it's incredible when you, and remembering just quickly a bit of biblical, when we read something that twice like that, that the writers put in the Bible twice in quick succession, you need to pay attention to it. Because you've got to remember parchments and skin, scrolls and things like that were super expensive uh, in, in biblical times. And to... So, so the authors were real careful on how they wrote and on what they wrote. They didn't put unnecessary information in there. They didn't put in things that were, they weren't glib about how they, you know, there was no like backspace. There was no, oh, well, I'll send you another. E it was, they had to be real careful about how they wrote. They wrote so, it was so expensive that they didn't put spaces in between the words when they wrote. They wrote the words all real, botched, like close together. 
So it's quite hard to read. And they wrote like edge to edge on the parchments and the scrolls. So when he puts in something like this and he says in the space of, in the space of two verses, he says in quick succession that the Holy Spirit has stopped them from going. We need to pay attention to those sorts of things. And we sort of, are, so, so for me, I ask, why? What, what are you doing, God? Like, what happens when there's a no? Why would God prevent them from going? I mean, he's doing, he's doing the general. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's going like, I want to preach the gospel. It's not like he's going there to do his own thing. He's not going um, for a holiday. Not that holidays are bad. But how did God stop them? We don't know. How did, he, how did the Spirit come and stop them? We don't know. There's lots of speculation from different scholars, but we don't actually know what it looked like when God stopped them. Was it an internal prompting? Was there, uh, were they not allowed to travel there by the Romans? Was there something else that stopped them from going up there? We don't actually know how God stopped them, but in some way they recognized that it was the Holy Spirit that stopped them from going. So they got a holy no. And their response is to go home miffed and say, well, we shouldn't have gone. God, we, may, we missed it. No, no. Their response is to go, all right, so we can't go there, so we'll carry on going around. We'll go somewhere else. And we see them head down towards Europe, what we know as modern-day Europe. And it's a beautiful response because what they show is that a no, just because God gives us a no, it doesn't mean we must stop. God's no doesn't mean stop. It's incredible, the response of Paul and his companions. We receive a no and we pull back and we're like, oh well, not me, somebody else. All right, I don't have to preach the gospel anymore because I can't get in there, doors closed. It's incredible, their response. So what, what does God's no mean then? If it doesn't mean stop, what does it mean? God's no means not there, not now, or not you. So firstly, the first thing it means is not there. God simply didn't want them to go and preach there. He wanted them at that, for them, to go to Macedonia, to go across. God's plan was for Paul and his disciples, Paul and his companions, to go across somewhere else. It simply means it's not you. And we've got to be humble enough to accept that God might not use us in an area or in a, a region for that moment. Not there. Just because God says, no, don't go to that person, doesn't mean you shouldn't go. Just means not there. The second thing it can mean is not now. God's timing is perfect. And we see that if we follow the story on through Acts 16 and into 17, we see how God uses Paul and his companions as they, as they go into Macedonia. And they go into Macedonia because God had already prepared people in Macedonia for Paul to preach to. Incredible encounters with, with Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer through the rest of Acts 16. But God had prepared those moments for Paul and his companions to be a part of. So God's no doesn't mean stop, but it might mean not now. A little patience and God's will is revealed. We've got to be humble and faithful in our going. The third thing that God's no does mean, if it doesn't mean stop, is not you. <laughs> God might never use you to preach to that person or to those people or to that region. And that's incredibly freeing for us because we are not Jesus. And that's okay. God might choose to use someone else. It is God's will that all will be saved, but he's not necessarily going to do it through you and I. 
he might use other people as well. And that is freeing for us. And we see this in Peter's first letter, Peter, Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 1 verse 1. Peter writes to the dispersed Christians across this very same region that Paul is traveling through, and he specifically mentions the Christians and the church in Bithynia. So between Paul's second missionary journey, and by the time Peter writes his letter, there are churches established and there are Christians scattered across that region of Bithynia where God stopped them going in. And, Paul, and God uses Peter to write to those Christians. Incredible. Who preached the gospel to them? I don't know. Where did they come from? We don't know. But it wasn't Paul and his companions who went there. God's no doesn't mean stop. It just might mean it's not you. And that's okay. Not there, not now, not you. But it doesn't mean stop. So how does God... How does God lead us? A.T. Pierce, who's a, a good scholar, he puts it like this. He says, we need to trust him, speaking of God, we need to trust him for guidance and rejoice equally in his restraints and constraints. You get that? We need to rejoice. We need to rejoice equally in his restraints and his constraints. So whether God holds us back from somewhere or directs us in going somewhere else. Both his yes and his no, we can rejoice in God's sending of us. Because as we go, as we trust him in our going, we get to do what he wants us to do. And that is the sweet spot. That's the place where you want to be. You don't want to be forcing it. And there's some doors you need to kick down, but there's some doors that God closes. And it's not going to help kicking that door. So how does God lead us? Three things, quickly as we close. Three ways that God leads us. Three areas. The first one is he leads us through a combination of factors. That might sound a bit generic, but I just want to show you through what Paul goes through in this narrative. So Paul feels this call. As we said, he's, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's got, a, he's got a very unique calling in his life. Unique in that not all the apostles felt that way about what they was, who they were supposed to go to. And you, it's Galatians 2.8, Romans 11.13, 1 Corinthians 9.2, where Paul mentions that he is an apostle to the Gentiles, or he is called as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so that's what Paul has. So that's the first factor that Paul has, is he, he's got this burning on his heart to go to a specific people group. Okay, so that's the first factor. Another factor that Paul has is there's this problem of circumcision that we spoke about. How do we apply the law? Now, we're kind of a Jewish offshoot. Like we, we, uh, you know, we've got these Gentiles coming in. And do they need to get circumcised? How does it go? So we've got this, this massive council that happens. And from that, Paul is sent out. So God leads Paul and Barnabas through a decision that was taken by the apostles and through their sending of him. So sometimes our going and our direction and our leading comes from others, comes from other people, comes from circumstances in leadership that we are sent out somewhere else with that. Paul's time in Antioch, he gets sent up. Antioch was quite a big church uh, in, in those days. It grew quite rapidly after that as well. Paul's time in Antioch enables him to launch out into Asia Minor. Another factor that leads to his going up north and then eventually across into Macedonia. Another factor that, that God uses is his disagreement with Barnabas. Out of that, Paul gets some new companions, and he, Timothy as well is one of those. And so he gets led, led into a new area with new people. And so just, there's, there's other things as well, but just in this short little narrative, we've already got four or five different factors that are playing into Paul's going, into God's leading of how and where he should go. 
The second thing, so that's the combination of factors. The second thing that, uh, of the way that God leads us is over a period of time. Yeah, as I said, sometimes we, we miss in like one or two verses, there's big gaps in the timeline of what's going on. And we just think, oh, well, he popped from here to there and he, you know, next thing, next thing. But in Acts 15, in verse 33, it says, after some time. In verse 36, Luke writes again, he says, sometime later. Now, there's some big gaps in those things in time-wise. We're often like, man, we want to, like, God hasn't spoken to me in a week. I don't know what I'm going to do. Sometimes there's a long period. God, God leads us and guides us and shapes us over a long period of time into going to where he wants us to go. He leads us into where he wants us to go over a very long period of time. The travel was a long way. They were, and, and the way that they went, by the way, up there wasn't exactly the easiest route to get there. It was quite a circuitous route, a roundabout way to get there and to eventually get across to Macedonia. But God's not scared of the long. He knows along that way there's things that have to happen, whether they have to happen in the team that's traveling, whether they have to happen with who they encounter on the road, whatever it is, God's not scared of doing things over a long period of time. With our modern culture that is so immediate, that is so now and so desiring of things like now, we, I, I, I struggle to buy physical books because I know I can get electronic books now. As much as I love physical books, I way prefer them to electronic books, but I can't wait. <laughs> it is so, unless I'm in a bookshop, I can't wait and I buy an electronic book because I know I can start reading it immediately on the Kindle. And it's, that is such a symptom of where we are. We, we don't wait for God to lead us over a long period of time. God's leading can take years in that going. Even as we go, He can lead us and, and guide us in our going. There's no rush. There's an urgency to preach the gospel, but there isn't a busyness or a hurriedness about them. They're not so impatient or so busy that they miss the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the third way that God leads us, and I want to bring this back to what I said in the beginning, is, is in team. God leads us in team. God puts us in church because it's good for us. Not because He needs your money, not because He needs your Sunday mornings or He needs anything else from you. He puts us in community. He puts us in team with people because it is good for us. He knows us. He knows how we work. Paul is constantly working in team. Paul is always going. Most of his companions remain unnamed. We don't know who they are. We know one or two of them. But most of them remain unnamed. But they traveled with Paul faithfully. Some of those guys would have been like bag carriers or, I don't know, coat carriers or something, or just message deliverers. But they worked in team. We know that Paul brings Timothy on here. He adds to his team. He's constantly bringing on. Timothy, a young man. It's the same Timothy that the letters get written to later in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. But, and we know, interestingly, if you read carefully, we, we can see that this is roughly where Luke joins, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. This is roughly where he joins them because uh, it's probably in Troas, which was on the end of that uh, line that you saw on the map, because the language shifts from they to we. There's an interesting, you can go and read it, but the language shifts in, in Acts 16 there where is Paul, uh, Timothy stops talking about they did this, they went there, and then he suddenly shifts to we went on from there to here. We went on. So that's probably where, sorry, Luke, where Luke joined them on. Uh, became part of the team and traveled with them. So going in team, despite, despite the pitfall of working with others. And if you've ever worked with other people in a team, it can be challenging. It can be hard. Because other people, they just don't listen, <laughs> if we're honest. They just don't want to do what I tell them to do. 
Have you ever watched kids play? We are not much better, I promise you, as adults. We're just better at hiding it. But we're the same. we like, oh man, we just get cut full of working with other people, like fighting with you all the time. We, but God puts us in team because it's good for us. Let us, when we go, let us make sure we are going in team. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom. There's a mix of experience in the team. As I said, he's brought on Timothy, this young man, never been on any of this. We don't know much about Timothy. We know by the time, when Paul was writing to him in his letters, so he had dropped him off and, and helped to send him strength in the churches, Paul says to him, don't let people look down on you because you are young. So that is a fair bit of time after this journey. So Timothy was probably, probably a teenager when Paul took him on board here. So a mix of experience on the team. The point being, you don't have to be a Pharisee of Pharisees and an apostle to go. You don't have to be the most super spiritual person in the room to go and be a witness of Jesus. Jesus uses all of us. Paul is Paul, but he also takes Timothy along with him. It is good for us to go in team. There's an old African proverb which says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And it's true because it's, it's biblical truth. It's worded in an, in an African proverb, but it's true because it's biblical truth. So, God leads us through a combination of factors over a period of time, and he leads us in team. So what is the result then of their going? They have got sunshine and roses, and God loves them, and they are God's vitbrukis, and they are his favorite, and they all earn lots of money from their side businesses, and they live happily ever after. No? No. If you carry on reading chapter 16... They end up beaten and imprisoned. Hmm, what, a, what an incentive to go. Man, hey, come on missionary journeys and get, get beaten and, and imprisoned wrongly. By the way, wrongly. You haven't broken any laws. We're just going to do it wrongly. But this is it. This is our call. There is no promise of earthly comfort. There is no promise that, that it'll be nice for us to go. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've ever been to Ngabu in October and November. But it cools down in the evening to about 36, 37 degrees. It's still 100% humidity, but it cools down at least. And so you decide to sleep outside, but you can't sleep because of the incessant slapping of the mosquitoes. Which, if you think Monzi mosquitoes are big, you should see in Garbu mosquitoes. They are like B40, B-52s. They are bombers of note. And they are not afraid. You have to slap some of those mozzies three times to kill them. It is not comfortable going for the gospel. It is not easy. There are no promises of good when we go. But there is a promise that God will be with us. And that supersedes any difficulties we might face in the physical. You see, those, those who God had prepared already are worth it. Because Paul and his companions go and they meet up with Lydia. Lydia is a, a wealthy businesswoman. She's an operator, a mover and a shaker. She's high society, purple cloth, most expensive cloth there. Probably in today's standards, kind of running a chain of Gucci stores on Fifth Avenue in New York. That's kind of the level that Lydia was operating at. She wasn't no like Mickey Mouse, like, you know, waist center cloth on the side. It was, it was she was like Burn. She like Burn. She had a, like a fancy clothing shop. And God prepares this moment where Paul encounters her outside the city and, and she ends up funding a church or funding the, the, the continuation of the gospel out of, her, out of her home. Just after that, the next few verses, a slave girl, opposite end of society, 
and we don't even know her name. Slave girl being exploited for money by her owners because she's got a gift of foresight or prophecy or whatever you want to call it. And she's telling the truth. And Paul gets so out of irritation and literally says, Paul gets so irritated with her that he rebuked her and said, he basically cast a demon out of her. And she set free. Those owners get unhappy with Paul. That's why Paul and them get put in jail because they've now stopped the owners from earning income. That girl is set free because of Paul's willingness to go. Because of Paul and his companions' willingness to go, a slave girl, an unnamed slave girl, not even seen barely on the human scale in that society, purely as an object of income, is set free by the gospel because Paul and his companions are willing to go. The jailer, probably a retired soldier, faithful there, he's in there, uh, he's looking after Paul and them, he ends up getting saved. Incredible. He, he almost commits suicide. And he gets saved physically and spiritually. I mean, they're both physical, but he gets saved from committing suicide and then God saves him through Paul's testimony. Home in his whole household. Incredible. Despite the difficulties that they were going to face, Paul and his companions went because they knew that God had sent them. They went until they got a no. They carried on going despite the difficulties because the gospel is worth it for the lives it changes. Out of this movement and beyond that, beyond Acts 16, we see Paul and his companions, when you put the map up, Andy, we see Paul and his companions continuing over and around where they were. So going around into the top left corner is Macedonia, that yellowish bit. And the cities there, you won't read it, but it's, it's Philippi, uh, Amphipolis, Thessalonica, Berea. They eventually go down to Athens, Corinth, and back along to Ephesus. So out of that going, out of Paul's faithfulness, despite the beatings and the imprisonment, most of us would have been like, yo, I'm tapping out, I'm going home. My work here is done. I have suffered for the gospel. I've got the scars to prove it. Paul carries on. Out of that, we get a church is planted in Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, and we get the benefit of the scriptures that came out of that. You and I benefit today from those letters that Paul wrote to churches that he helped plant because he was willing to suffer for the gospel and go. Are we saying no, or are we listening to a go? We are all called to go. We are all called to go, friends. We are not part of a holy huddle that meets on a Sunday and that we come in to get benefits and we come in to just, you know, it's so nice. We are like a, like a little club. And we're all the same. We all use the same language and we've got nice tea and coffee. And this, this is important and it's valuable and we must gather but the point of our gathering is so that we can go. We've got another six and a half days in the week that we go. And that's the important part of what we do. We are all called to go. We go in team. We go until there is a no. And we keep going somewhere else, trusting the leading of God through both his restraints and his constraints, regardless of what the outcomes look like, regardless of how difficult it is. If we are faithful in the work of going, God takes care of the outcome. Don't be so concerned with the outcome of our going that we think we have failed. If we are faithful in the going, God takes care of the outcome. We are all called to go. Some of us on camels. Some of us need to put the camels down and go. I think he got it. Okay. Wonderful. We're all called to go, regardless of where we're at, of who we are, 
of where we are with God. There's no like, got to be in church for six months before we go. Can I, can't I afford a camel to go? None of that. We got to go. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are, that you're a God who goes. And that you go to us, God. That you came to us first. And, and I thank you, Lord, for that. Because you are not a God who is distant and far off. But you're a God who is personal and with us each and every day. Holy Spirit, help us as we live out our faith. As we live out our walk with you in the practical day-to-day life that we live, God. Help us to see where it is that you are sending us. Help us to see those who are coming across our path, who need your love, who need that message of your good news, who need a witness of the love of Jesus in their lives, God. We want to love on those who are far from you, God. Send us, Lord. We want to be a church that is not a holy huddle, that is not holding back, but a church that is focused outwardly. A church that is focused on going with your good news, Lord God. A church that is focused on your kingdom, Father, on expanding your rule and your reign in our region, in our province, and beyond our nation, Lord God. We want to be a church that is bold in the going for you, Jesus. We want to declare that it is for your name and for your glory that we are going, Lord God. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you are with us and that you lead us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.